Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Dog Podcast. I'm Rob Hoyer, medical oncologist. Abbas is away on vacation. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We wanted to release an episode to mark Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, which is the month of March. Since Abbas is currently traveling and I'll be away next week, we decided to re-release episode two, which is one of our earlier episodes where we talk about colon cancer. And also, I'd like to refer everyone to episode number three, where we talk about the microbiome. Colon cancer is the second leading cause of cancer-related death in the United States, and it is very preventable. One of the most concerning facts about colon cancer is the increasing incidence in younger adults. And I thought I'd just read a few lines from a recent report from the American Cancer Society about colon cancer. So the good news is that the incidence, and what that is, is the number of cases per per 100,000 people has generally been dropping over the last 20 years, which is wonderful. That is great news. Uh, And also the death rate has also been decreasing uh, secondary to the widespread use of colonoscopy for screening for colon cancer. But particularly concerning is increasing incidence and mortality in young adults. So for comparison purposes, in early 2023, the American Cancer Society reported that 20% of diagnoses in 2019 were in patients under age 55. That's about double the rate in 1995. And also rates of advanced disease increased by about 3% annually in people younger than 50. So a couple of years ago, based on these trends, the age for colon cancer screening was moved from age 50 to age 45. So there's a lot of work being done to try and figure out why the increased incidence in younger adults. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you'll know what I'm going to say next. Most likely, the higher incidence is, is related to lifestyle changes. And in particular, over the last 30, 40 years, uh, Americans have been eating much more sugar, processed grains, like flour, for example, processed meats, fried foods. These are all likely contributing. And probably the microbiome changes are a big part of of the increased incidence that we're seeing. We don't know the exact factor or factors yet. However, uh, there's some pretty compelling evidence that the microbiome changes are probably responsible. And one of the biggest ways we can impact the microbiome is through the diet. This will also provide a great segue to our episode for April, which is all about sugar. So we're going to do a deep dive into sugar and processed grains like white flour and talk about how much in pounds that we've, as Americans, have increased our consumption of these substances. It's really dramatic. And there's no doubt in my mind that this is exactly what is fueling the obesity epidemic. And it's probably also contributing to increasing incidence of colon cancer, uh, particularly in our younger population. So without further ado, here's our episode on colon cancer. As always, you can reach us at rob at drdoc.health or abbas at drdoc.health. Please feel free to drop us an email and we'll be sure to respond to you. You can drop us a line about any future episodes you'd like to hear about or questions that you have, and we will see you again in April. Thanks, everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Doc to Doc podcast. This is part one of a two-part series on colon cancer. In part one, we'll have an educational lecture type format about colon cancer. In part two, we'll talk about what you can do to prevent 
yourself and your family from being diagnosed with this disease, and we'll offer some opinions on this subject. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Dr. Dog Podcast. I'm Rob Hoyer, medical oncologist. And my name is Abbas Shafi, gastroenterologist. This is a podcast about lifestyle medicine, disease prevention, and longevity. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized therapy and advice. Our goal is to enable individuals to become CEO of their uh, health by managing their diet, exercise, sleep, and stress to prevent the common disease. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about colon cancer and just some general facts about colon cancer. It is the second leading cause of cancer death in the United States. And in 2019, we saw about 51,000 deaths from colon cancer. About 140,000 people are diagnosed with colon cancer annually. And presently, there are about 1 million, uh, over actually 1 million colon cancer survivors in the U.S., the uh, risk of colon cancer is slightly, slightly higher in males, and about 1 in 20 men will have colon cancer in their lifetime, and about 1 in 24 women. And uh, the majority, uh, the vast majority of people diagnosed with colon cancer are over age 50. Uh, that is changing a little bit, but even with uh, recent trends that we've seen higher uh, incidence of colon cancer before the age of 50, still the majority of the people diagnosed with colon cancer are over 50. So looking at the rates of colon cancer per 100,000 people, and this is a common way that uh, epidemiologists or folks who study disease look at the different incidences of different diseases, we do see a higher incidence of colon cancer in African-American men and women. We're not quite sure what that is, and there may be genetic factors and also potentially environmental factors behind that. Um, That's something that's been seen. So the uh, um, African-Americans who have a higher risk of colon cancer, and uh, we see actually slightly lower risk of colon cancer in Hispanic, Asians, and uh, Native Americans, and Alaskans relative to Caucasians. The anatomical distribution of colon cancer um, is... uh... Uh, very interesting. Initially, we thought it was mostly uh, related to the left colon, but in recent studies, we have shown that uh, um, the colon cancer distribution is throughout the, the colon. Uh, the left colon is still majority about fifty-four percent, and the uh, um, ascending colon uh, and cecum about thirty-three percent, and transverse colon, which is in between the two, is about thirteen percent, um, and then uh, the rectum about twenty-nine percent. The Colorectal cancer um, majority is sporadic. Um, however, there's subclass of uh, uh, family and certain syndromes, such as Lynch syndromes, um, as well as other um, inherited uh, um, polyposis syndrome. But those are account for minority uh, of the colon cancer in the United States. The colon cancer uh, uh, distribution throughout the world um, is um, uh, quite uh, interesting. Uh, the people in uh, Sub-Sahara uh, in Africa, uh, as well as a certain part of um, Asia, they have the minority, while the 
um, Australian as uh, well as uh, United States and part of Europe uh, has uh, the highest incident um, in um, uh, distribution through the Asia. Again, is different from genetic um, group to others, such as Korean is higher than the remaining of the uh, remaining of the Asian. And I just wanted to comment too. It is really striking, and we can we'll include these slides in the in the show notes. But how low the incidence is in the African countries, and perhaps some of it may be from shorter life expectancy, perhaps, but the and also higher risk of infectious diseases and whatnot. But it's really striking. I mean, it's dramatically. It's like we see of the incidence per hundred thousand of in Australia forty five. Point seven, and in Africa we're in the fours and fives. It's, I thought it was kind of interesting. That is very, and also the interesting thing is when you bring African American to United States and introduce them to the Western diet, then the colon cancer risk goes much much higher. That's another interesting, I think, study is to be done. Why the same genetic group that majority they still have um, a, a good mixture of uh, African genes that how low it is. So the environment and diet, and that, I think, plays a huge role in colon cancer. Um, death rate has been decreasing for both uh, male and female with colon cancer um, uh, above age 50. However, uh, we see the increased number of uh, colon cancer below age 50. So there are some really interesting epidemiological trends in colon cancer that we we don't see in other diseases and we're not really sure why this is but we'll we'll start out by describing what the uh, what we're seeing with uh, colon cancer incidence changing in different age groups and then we'll we'll talk about potentially why why that is we really don't know but we'll have a discussion so since the 1990s the rate of colon cancer so that and that's colon and, re- and rectal cancer has more than doubled among adults younger than fifty, but not only that, the the di- the disease is more aggressive when we see it in younger individuals, and more more of those individuals are dying from the disease, and it's really the the really striking thing about that is that the, uh, the incidence of colon cancer in adults over fifty is is decreasing steadily that may be due to increases in screening and so when when when, uh, when dr shafi talks about the the um, use of screening for colonoscopy we'll talk about how that how that works and how the adenoma, adenoma polyps can be removed thus preventing the disease but we're seeing the uh, yeah, higher rates of colon cancer in younger individuals and it it, the number the numbers are 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 getting steadily larger. So this this um, this year, about eighteen thousand people under the age of fifty will be di- diagnosed with colon cancer. It, it's still uh, a relatively small cause of death in younger adults. Um, much fewer than one one percent of younger adults will 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 have uh, colon cancer and and die from the disease. However, it really does suggest that there could be environmental factors and lifestyle factors that are playing a role here. And 
we really don't know why this is, but the but we can likely say this is probably not genetic because genetics doesn't doesn't change in in years or decades. Genetics is something that changes over a very long span of time, typically generations, hundreds of years. We can see we can see changes in genetic risk among different groups. But this is likely lifestyle, and there's been hypotheses that the microbiome, that's the uh, microbiology environment, the bacteria and other organisms that inhabit our gut, maybe are, are well, we know they are changing, and that dietary patterns have changed pretty dramatically over the last 50 years in the U.S. So that's one hypothesis. Um, also, sedentary behavior is also a factor. So there's a couple studies that have linked one study in particular that's linked uh, duration of TV to higher risk of colon cancer. So the more TV you watch, the higher the risk. And uh, obesity is also a factor. So obese individuals have a higher risk of colon cancer. There's also questions about other um, environmental factors. For example, pesticides, food additives, these other uh, toxins in the environment may be playing a role. And it's, it's quite interesting that when you look at the statistics, we're seeing actually higher risk of rectal cancer. The rectum is, is a, the colon itself, but the rectum specifically is more of a storage area for the, for the stool. And so perhaps there is something that is um, interacting with the wall of the uh, rectum, and that is giving a higher risk of, of colon and rectal cancer in, in younger adults. This trend is really concerning and that we're, uh, all our screening is focused on uh, historically above age 50. Recently, American Cancer Society and other groups did, uh, did recommend to reduce the age to start screening age to age 45. My suspicion is that that probably will reduce even more to age 40 in the coming years. And, uh, and, we'll, have, and we'll, we'll have some other discussion about this as well. The next we'll talk about screening. Yes, uh, uh, Dr. Hoy, the colon cancer uh, as well as rectal cancer, as you mentioned, in young uh, uh, individuals, quite concerning with uh, uh, many, uh, you know, um, commercialization of the food. Um, we see uh, um, other changes in the GI tract and probably a microbiome plays a big role. Um, even the individual that has uh, stopped smoking, which should decrease the colon cancer, as is, um, we eat a healthier food in some part healthier environment. But however, this uh, uh, colon cancer in young uh, uh, age is quite uh, concerning and hopefully we'll have some solution in the future. The um, colon cancer um, symptoms is, uh, is a very, very rare and it's only in the late stages. The colon polyps and early, uh, and early colon cancer, they have no symptoms. Uh, the symptoms may include, um, in the late stages, abdominal pain, change in bowel habits, uh, have a, um, a blood in stool, um, anemia, uh, weight loss, uh, uh, and, uh, and in some cases, we'll see the uh, spread to the other part of the body as uh, first symptoms. Um, these are uh, uh, a part of... Uh, um, as a rare but um, occasional symptoms of the uh, colon cancers. Sometimes they show as a um, fever or unknown origin um, uh, as, or sometimes a localized inflammation of the colon. Um, 
majority of the symptoms that we see is mostly related to the left colon, which has a more narrower or smaller lumen. The right side colon, they have quite advanced disease even before any uh, symptoms. The exact cause of colon cancer is unknown, but a certain um, risk factor can con- uh, contribute to increased uh, um, chance of uh, getting colon cancer. Uh, in the normal process, um, when we have a normal colon mucosa, by increasing the risk factor, which will go more in detail, the mucosa will start changing and subsequently develop to uh, polyp, um, which the polyp can be and different histology, commonly there are adenoma or variation of that, and subsequently over seven to 10 years from the beginning to the end process uh, will become colon cancer. And again, as mentioned before, the early colon cancer has no symptoms. When it become moderate to severe, then depending on the location, we will have uh, some uh, uh, symptoms. So the traditional way a colon cancer develops is as a a small clump of cells, what we call a polyp. Not all colon cancers proceed through a polyp stage, but the majority do. And these polyps, we call them adenomas. That's the medical term for a, for a colon polyp. And it's thought that these may occur from inflammation in the, in the gut, uh, perhaps a change in the microbiology of the, of the uh, colon in that, in that um, area causing inflammation causing the polyp. Um, there have been several studies that show that high fat, high, um, high red meat and processed food uh, may be a contributing factor or is a contributing factor to colon cancer. Fiber is, uh, has been shown to be protective and higher uh, doses or higher amounts of fiber in the diet have been shown to be beneficial. So this is something that's really key is that Fiber is protective, and uh, there's a couple different types of fiber, uh, both soluble and insoluble fiber. So the, I like to think of the insoluble fiber as the we, call, we often think of as roughage or the traditional uh, metamucil that you uh, get a scoop of and dissolve in a glass of water. That's your insoluble fiber. You actually can see the fiber in the in the the liquid when you when it's when it's uh, when you try to dissolve it. It really doesn't dissolve very well at all. Um, the other type of fiber that doesn't get quite as much attention is called soluble fiber. And soluble fiber, there's actually hundreds of thousands of different types of soluble fiber, and that is derived exclusively from plant-based foods. There's no other way to get fiber other than plants, and fiber is one of the main foods for the microbiology, the microbiome of our, of our intestines. And we often call this the prebiotic. So soluble fiber is a very important prebiotic and it is the food for the probiotics, which then uh, yields postbiotics. And that those postbiotics are important for reducing inflammation. So if you don't get enough fiber in your diet, you'll have a, a different microbiome and uh, then thus different postbiotics are generated because of the, uh, the change in the microbi- microbiology of the colon. So fiber is really important, and it's uh, widely, widely established that Americans uh, really get uh, just a, a fraction. Uh, most individuals get less than 20% of the uh, recommended amount of daily, 
daily dietary fiber. So regardless of what diet you follow, fiber is really, really helpful and protective. So I really encourage uh, getting enough fiber. And we'll, we'll talk more about that later in the podcast about ways to ways to um, prevent uh, uh, yourself or your family from from getting colon cancer and also also potentially other other cancers as well. So some of the um, well-known risk factors for colon cancer include age. We talked about African-Americans having a higher risk of colon cancer, personal or family history of colon polyps, uh, family history of colon cancer, particularly a first degree relative will have a higher um, will we'll, we'll impart a higher risk in the family of having colon cancer. Inflammatory bowel disease. So it's not a, not a big surprise that inflammation in the small and large intestine will, will be associated with a higher risk of colon cancer. Previous radiation therapy to the abdomen or pelvis. Obesity, we talked about as a risk factor. Diabetes, sedentary lifestyle. Um, we talked about diet previously. And uh, smoking and alcohol use also have been linked. Particularly heavy alcohol use has been shown to be a risk factor for, for colon cancer. Uh, colon cancer screening. This is always uh, a confusing topic, both for primary care physician as well as a uh, patient, uh, which method to use and uh, how to proceed at what age. Uh, as Dr. Hoyer mentioned, uh, previously, we were screening people for uh, colon cancer screening at age 50. Um, however, in recent years, we have a, a, a decrease at age 45, and in future, uh, uh, maybe be lower. So in general, to uh, clarify some of the confusion, um, we divide people in two groups. And each individual can even look at themselves, whether they're in high-risk group or low-risk group. The high-risk groups... Um, they are straightforward. You need visualization. You need to prevention um, from early stage. So you get colonoscopy. So the higher risk groups um, in, include that previously had significant polyp, people with families or colon cancer, people with inflammatory bowel disease, um, also uh, family heredity, a history of colon cancer, such as Lynch syndrome um, and uh, non-polyposis cancer uh, syndrome, um, so those are, uh, as well as people with radiation uh, to the abdomen pelvic. So, so this group called high-risk groups. So they should not be done stool testing or colon or other tests. They should go for straight visualization of the colon. However, there are people with uh, any other group that they are called low-risk groups. I mean, average people with have no symptoms. They have no family history. At that age, 45, they have choices to do. One choice to do colonoscopy, the other one do barium enema or other radiology studies that they can do called virtual colonoscopy. They can do flexosigmoidoscopy, which previously very, was very common, or do stool testing for hidden blood, such as called FIT or cold blood, and the newer test called Cologar, which is a combination of DNA as well as uh, FIT. Each of these uh, tests is depend on the uh, local availability uh, for as well as uh, um, uh, as well as a uh, uh, patient uh, uh, willing to uh, take some of the risks. Of course, colonoscopy uh, should be done every eight to ten years. If the colon is well prepped, is the gold standard to see if there's any polyp. At the same time, we can take it out. 
um, the downside fall of that it is require uh, one to two days of cleansing as well as um, you know the risk of sedation and and um, uh, complication of colonoscopy which is very very low but that's uh, um, standard uh, golden standard to do every eight to ten years other tests if you choose not to do is a barium enema the cleansing for that is the same uh, except this is done um, while you're awake uh, by uh, putting a barium which is a contrast we do with some uh, air to follow that maps the colon if your colon is nice and clean that can be repeated every uh, five years um, virtual colonoscopy again the preparation are similar but you need to have a very good radiologist that be able to to uh, read that that's probably going to get more popular as uh, we get more uh, expertise in this uh, uh, field Flexosigmoidoscopy, we examine the, the, the last one-third of the, uh, the colon. Um, this is similar to colonoscopy with a similar type of prep. It can be done without sedation. However, the uh, proximal colon, the, 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 the right colon and the transverse colon polyps um, uh, can be mixed. And that if you do that, then you should do that every five years and probably an annual either fit or cold blood. The old cold blood is shows any hidden blood in the GI tract, uh, anywhere from a, a nosebleed to uh, hemorrhoids can cause that. But mostly we're looking for any cold bleeding um, through the GI tract. That's mostly be done for, for anemia, uh, people with low uh, um, blood or hemoglobin. So that, that can detect either colonic or upper GI uh, origin. There's another test called a fit uh, test, which is a fecal immune. Uh, and testing that this is mostly um, through the clonic um, original bleed, but however, um, uh, this is more specific to the colon. And uh, the colon is a combination of fit as well as uh, uh, DNA. Um, this test um, at present time is very expensive, somewhere seven, eight hundred dollars, and uh, unfortunately has a lot of false positive, at least in. Um, present setting and what we see and uh, once you have positive colgot it's um, both for patient as well as the gastroenterologist is um, tough to explain why this was positive hopefully in future we have a better method to uh, for this accuracy but any test for screening is better than none so so any screening test is best but if you talk to your individual physician if you're at low risks those are all viable options to choose based on the local expertise and availability. After the initial um, uh, screening test, um, and then uh, uh, based on the, uh, again, local expertise and availability, um, if you had a colonoscopy, I had a polyp, uh, the follow-up exam is based on the number of the polyp and the size, as well as another really important factor is uh, how clean and the colon cleansing was, as well as uh, the difficulty of the colonoscopy. Um, patient with previous abdominal surgery uh, or previous radiation, uh, it did make it technically more difficult to see um, the uh, bend or, or, or flexure of the colon. So, so based on those uh, factors, um, the physician can recommend a follow-up uh, colonoscopy in a, in a uh, absolute uh, favorable situation that can be done every eight to ten years. Um, again, uh, if you do annual stool test, should be done uh, yearly. Barium enema 
uh, every five years, uh, uh, call a guard every uh, three years. And if you combine some of these things, some people combine um, barium enema and the cold uh, blood test yearly. So if any of those tests become positive, then you have to start again with uh, colonoscopy. So the next topic we'll talk about is what we call the T, N, and M staging. And so this is a, a staging system that oncologists and other cancer specialists use to stage cancer. So we'll just briefly go through this. And it's something we'll actually be talking about in future podcasts as well. So the T stage is, has to do with the, uh, the size and also the uh, depth of, of tumors, and this, in, for the case of in the case of colon and rectal cancer, it actually is the not it's not actually the size, but the depth of the tumor into the uh, colon, which has colon has multiple layers, including a, a very uh, strong muscle layer, as uh, as it needs to move the stool through uh, the the in, the intestine through the lumen of the intestine, and so the deeper the cancer gets. Uh, either close to, into, or through the muscle has to do with the what's called the T stage of, of the cancer. And then we have what's called the N stage, which is the lymph node. So uh, the lymph nodes in the colon are mainly there for uh, part of the immune system, and they actually are kind of like our, our surveillance network in our body, looking for any evidence of infection, bacteria, viruses, other infections. They also happen to catch cancer cells. And so it's well established that usually, not always, but usually uh, when the cancer, uh, before the cancer spreads to other parts of the body, it will actually move to a lymph node first. That's not always the case, but that's usually, that's, that's the majority of situations. It will spread to the lymph node first. And so we can look at the number of lymph nodes that are involved with the cancer and determine uh, the, the stage. So when we see the cancer spread to a, a one or more lymph nodes, that automatically means the cancer is stage three or higher. And so that's, so we have different types of different stages of stage three, A, B, and C, uh, which has to do with the depth of the tumor into the wall of the intestine and the number of lymph nodes involved. And then finally, we have stage uh, four disease, which is advanced. So that can be spread to the liver, lung, or other parts of the body. For colon cancer, mainly it's liver and lung spread. And with all these different staging groups, uh, so from all the way from stage zero to stage four, what, what, what those are are actually what's called prognostic groups. So uh, researchers, when looking at uh, the different, uh, different distributions of colon cancer in different individuals, can actually give a prognosis or how, how that person, that individual will do based on the stage of the cancer. So... Uh, stage uh, zero and one cancers have the best survival with stage four having the worst and stage two and three in between that. And so it, it's, it's obviously, it, it's not, um, it's not doesn't work 100% of the time, but it's pretty good to determine uh, the, the chances of cure after surgery, which is the mainstay of treatment for colon cancer, removal of that section of the colon, and then reattaching the colon um, whenever possible. Occasionally, patients will have to have a colostomy or a bag uh, on, on the abdomen. Uh, that's when the, when the colon cannot be reattached. We take great care to try to avoid that whenever possible. So the mainstay treatment for colon and rectal cancer is surgery. 
in uh, select situations, particularly with rectal cancer, we'll, op- we'll often recommend the use of radiation therapy either before or after uh, surgery. Uh, for rectal cancer, usually that radiation and sometimes chemotherapy is given prior to surgery, and then surgery is performed. After uh, surgery for colon or rectal cancer, we will look at the pathology report, which is what the surgeon removed, and then it goes to the pathologist who then looks at the the uh, depth of the tumor invasion into the wall of the intestine, looks at the lymph nodes or other areas of spread of the cancer within, within or around the intestine, and gives us a stage. And we then do scans, CAT scans typically, to see if the cancer is spread to other parts of the body. And for patients with stages two and in particular three colon cancer, we will often make a recommendation for chemotherapy, what we call adjuvant chemotherapy. And that chemotherapy is given to reduce the risk of recurrence. And the idea between, behind adjuvant chemotherapy is that we're trying to attack small, cell, small cancer cells or small clusters of cancer cells that have spread beyond the colon into lymph nodes uh, that have not been removed or other parts of the body. And we're trying to attack those cancer cells before they can spread and develop into tumors. And so the use of adjuvant chemotherapy has been proven to reduce the risk of a colon cancer recurrence for patients with stage two and stage three disease. We're, uh, we're just starting to use uh, some, a technology which is very fascinating called the circulating tumor DNA analysis. And so what, what this is, is looking at minute amounts of uh, DNA from the cancer within the patient's bloodstream. And uh, there's a couple different companies that are doing this, in particular one called Signaterra. And what's been shown is that individuals with a positive Signaterra test after resection of colon colonorectal cancer have a higher risk of a recurrence um, patients with uh, uh, sequential negative Signaterra results have a lower risk of recurrence and actually may not need chemotherapy. And so this is a really interesting use of the technology to uh, refine uh, the risk associated with stage two and, uh, and, and stage three colon cancer. So we're very excited about use of these circulating tumor DNA uh, tests so what happens when a patient is diagnosed with colon cancer at our institution is that we meet at what's called a tumor board or tumor conference and have a discussion about that individual. We look at that individual's uh, risk factors, other health conditions, and recommend a course of treatment. And that uh, it, discussion occurs with the patient. So the patient is very much an active part of that conversation in terms of what treatment yeah, they, they, will, they will have for their particular disease. It's, it's very much individualized. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And so it really is more detailed than we can cover today. However, I'll, I'll just say that each individual is unique, and we really have to balance the risk and benefit of the treatments. One of the concerns, um, both uh, from patients and also the physicians is the risks and side effects of the cancer treatment. And uh, 
after seeing quite a few patients with colon cancer go through the different parts of the treatment, it's actually one of the reasons that I've decided to focus on lifestyle medicine because of all the side effects associated with these therapies. For example, with colon resection, patients may have chronic diarrhea or change in bowel habits, more frequent stools. With chemotherapy and radiation therapy, there can be a number of lasting side effects. For example, one of the big ones we see, one of the big side effects we see is with a drug called oxaliplatin can cause neuropathy, which is a numbness in the fingertips, hands, and toes that can extend up into the feet and legs. This can be permanent. And what we've done to try to reduce some of the neuropathy risk is to shorten some of our chemotherapy regimens from six months to three months. That reduces the risk of neuropathy with oxaliplatin, however, does not totally prevent it. So the long-term side effects can be significant after a diagnosis of colon and rectal cancer. We'll talk about survivorship here in a few minutes, but this is something that we do our best to try to balance risk and benefit of these treatments, trying to get the, the best possible survival with the least amount of risk. After the initial diagnosis of uh, colon cancer and treatment with surgery and possible chemotherapy, um, the risk of colon cancer recurrence um, in other parts of the colon is still uh, is high. So uh, after the treatment, patients need to have a, a routine follow-up done um, initially with blood work and CAT scan, and then with a colonoscopy. Uh, we recommend a colonoscopy um, post-resection um, six months to a year. Uh, the first uh, um, examination, then after it was normal, uh, after three years, uh, then subsequently every five years, uh, because we see the patient uh, through the uh, uh, the lifespan uh, post resection, develop circularized lesion as well as develop polyps. So if we can remove the polyps at the earlier time, then chance of getting second cancer can be uh, prevented. Bas, could you define what a synchronous lesion is? When um, patient they have uh, more than. Uh, uh, one cancer in their colon. So, so some individual, they will have uh, two different segments of the colon with uh, two individual cancers. So, so, so those are called synchronized lesion. Also, then subsequently, you can have, um, for example, if you had the rectal cancer um, and follow-up exam, I have seen people have sickle cancer. So, so, so those are very important to follow up, so preventing getting a secondary cancer. In summary, uh, colon, uh, colorectal cancer is very common. Um, colon cancer in majority of the time starts uh, from um, early polyp, um, and uh, polyp and early cancer, they have very little symptoms. Um, the early detection is the key for long survival. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, colorectal cancer can be prevented by a patient uh, uh, education, especially with diet, lifestyle, uh, modification, as I uh, mentioned early uh, uh, screening. So one of the key areas that we've been focusing in the oncology world over the last 15, 20 years is something called survivorship. So as we talked about earlier, there 
are over a million survivors of colon and rectal cancer in the United States today, which is a huge number. And I, I think that's a you know, really a, a wonderful thing that more and more people are surviving this disease and we're catching it earlier. That's one of the key components with any, with any cancer is early detection and treatment. So one of the key components of survivorship is addressing post-treatment side effects. And there can be a number of them as we talked about a little bit earlier, but uh, for, for example, uh, neuropathies, uh, fatigue, um, sexual side effects, um, bowel changes, uh, these are some of the side effects that patients with colon cancer have. Other cancers, of course, will have other side effects as the treatment is different. So this is something that we do our best to try to try to prevent these uh, side effects as much as possible and really want to address them to try to help improve quality of life. Uh, uh, one of the key components after diagnosis of colon and rectal cancer is lifestyle. And so this is probably the most evidence-based of any of the cancers with respect to diet. So there's clear evidence that eating a diet with uh, small amounts or no red meat will help improve uh, survival after diagnosis. And actually it's been shown to reduce risk of recurrence of the, of the cancer that the patient was diagnosed with. And in addition, may, may help reduce the risk of a second cancer as well. Uh, physical activity is important. Uh, eating a higher fiber diet is, is, uh, is also critical. So all these components are very, very helpful. And the evidence does strongly support that individuals after a diagnosis of colon and rectal cancer can actually, who have a poor diet or decreased or low physical activity prior to the diagnosis can actually um, greatly benefit from those lifestyle changes. So uh, if someone has a poor diet before the diagnosis, changing that diet can actually um, help that individual to reduce the risk of a recurrence of, of that cancer. The same as someone who has a better diet going into the di with the going into the diagnosis. And so this is really cr a critical component that these lifestyle factors are highly modifiable. And that's something that we, we can, um, it's again, small changes over a long span of time can have a tremendous benefit. Um, also, other thing besides the dietary modification, I think um, stopping smoking, I think is very, very important as well as um, decreasing the alcohol intake. I think the excess of alcohol and smoking um, can uh, uh, further increase recurrent cancer. All of this lifestyle modification not only helps with colon cancer, overall in the long run we see preventing uh, uh, lung cancer, coronary disease, and uh, quality life uh, improvement. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We really had had a great time preparing it and we really want to hear from you. So if you have questions or comments, please feel free to contact us. Boss. And this is a, a two-way conversation. Uh, hopefully uh, that uh, you can help us uh, um, for the educator us as well as if there's any question that we do not know, we'd be glad to uh, research and let you know. 
our uh, next uh, topic uh, going to be about uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease as well as esophageal cancer. Hopefully you can join us.